want to kick off a brand new series today, and we're going to take seven weeks in this new series, um, and we're going to focus in on a very famous text from a little bit earlier in that same sermon, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those, are forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father God, I thank you for this incredible passage. I pray that you would bring it to life today. Father God, that this incredible teaching of Jesus uh, would would be accessed by your people, that we would be equipped by it today, that we'd be transformed by it today, that we'd be better uh, in pursuing you and knowing you and seeking you and relating to you because we gathered today. And we thank you for all this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Prayer, right? This, this most famous passage of Scripture. We're calling this series Our Father in Heaven. Um, and we're looking at these, these few short verses that are probably the most recited words in the history of the world. If you go across translations, across languages, there's probably no portion of scripture that's been quoted more frequently. There's probably no prayer that's been recited more often. There's probably no set of words that have ever been said as often as these. There are monks in monasteries all over the world that are quoting the Lord's Prayer six, eight, 12 times a day. There are football teams quoting this in the locker room before they go out to play. When I was a kid playing Little League Baseball, we used to say this after every game. We'd take a knee, and we'd quote the Lord's Prayer. And probably like most of you, we quoted it in the King James Version. That's where we memorized it. That's how I memorized it. Um, But it's spoken so incredibly frequently that I think sometimes it can almost lose its meaning, right? So many of us in this room can probably recite it without even having to think of it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Like we, it's so deeply in us, we can just spit it out. But it doesn't really have any meaning when we do it like that, does it? Man, I learned it at at a very young age, as I imagine many of us, did. And Pastor Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer. And he gave a great illustration of what can happen when we become so familiar with something like the Lord's Prayer. He said, imagine it like this. You go to visit one of your friends, and the friend lives next to some railroad tracks. Uh, and you're in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden, there's this, this rumbling. And the rumbling gets louder and louder and louder as the train comes by your house and it's, by this house, and it sounds like it's going to crash through the living room. And you're like, what was that? And your friend's like, what? I didn't hear anything, right? Why? Because they've lived next to those railroad tracks for so long, they learned to tune it out, right? You live under the airport. You learn to turn, turn, tune out the, the flights coming in. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I had a Nissan Altima that was a little bit ghetto. Uh, this is how ghetto my Altima was. Uh, the letter L had fallen off the back, so we called it the A-timer. Uh, and one day I was driving, uh, and believe it or not, I was on a double date with Melody, except I wasn't with Melody. I was with the other girl. Uh, 
And so we went to drop these two girls off. They were roommates. Uh, and we dropped them off at their house. And as I went to get out of the car, my key would not turn back out of the ignition. It got stuck in the ignition. And that key stayed in my Ultima ignition for about a year and a half. Uh, could not ever get it out. And so I would try to put like a styrofoam cup over the key so nobody would see it because people were really going to try to steal my Ultima. Um, <laughs> never happened. I was fine. Um, but I couldn't get the key out of the ignition. It was just always there. And I never paid to have a locksmith come and fix it, right? Um, now, because of that, there was always a dinging sound. Whenever the door was open, like there was a special ding, like, hey, your key's in the ignition, you idiot, right? Uh, well, guess what happened? I heard that ding for about two months. And then for about 16 months, I never heard that ding anymore. It was still there, but I became numb to it. And I think for so many of us, the incredible life-changing power of the Lord's prayer is just like that ding. We've heard it so frequently in our past that all of a sudden we get to the point where we don't even hear what Jesus is really teaching us or really saying. So what I want us to do over the next seven weeks is to come back to this incredibly familiar passage of Scripture and, and, and allow it to become unfamiliar, Allow it to actually speak into our lives because I think there's some principles here, there's some truth here that even those of us who have grown up in this all of our lives, who, who have known this prayer for decades, have not fully apprehended. That Many of us don't have this complete. In fact, I learned a lot even this week, starting in, in week one, in the very first piece of what we're going to look at. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this into seven parts. There are seven clauses or, or seven specific statements here in the NIV translation version of the Lord's Prayer. And of course, one of the elephants in the room is, well, how come the NIV doesn't have, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Well, the reality is uh, the, the King James is based on later manuscripts than the other modern translations are. So it's based on more recent manuscripts. And when you go back to the oldest manuscripts, that phrase isn't in there. Now, I don't think that that phrase is demonic. I don't think it's wrong. I just don't think, based on our best understanding, that Jesus actually said it in reference to this prayer. So that's why we're not going to study that specific phrase, but we are going to look at what Jesus actually did say, at what he did pass down for us, uh, and so we're going to dig into this. So I'm going to give you the series ahead of time. I'm going to give you the seven parts and what we're going to be studying each week, because I want you to be here all seven weeks. I want you to, 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 to make yourself find a way to be a part of this, because I believe this whole prayer has power for us. I believe this whole prayer can breathe something into us, breathe new life into our prayer life, bring new, breathe new life into our relationships. So it starts like this, verse, in part one today, we're going to talk about the title of the series, Our Father in Heaven, the very first part of the, the, the prayer. Week two, next week, we're going to talk about hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What do we do with it? Week three, we're going to look at your kingdom come. Week four, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Week five, give us today our daily bread. We'll take communion that week, by the way. Uh, week six, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And week seven, we'll finish it up with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I believe these seven clauses, these seven pieces of this massively famous passage can truly propel you forward in your prayer life. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, so let's turn to the word of God. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, it says this. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. What's happening here, we, we don't get this context in Matthew six, but in Luke's account, 
we find out that this, Jesus didn't just start this on his own. This wasn't just a sermon uh, of Jesus. He actually had a question brought to him by his disciples. The disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the disciples were all religious Jews. They had all been religious Jews their entire life. They had prayed probably thousands of times in their life. They had memorized prayers. They had memorized scriptural prayers. They knew things about prayer that that you and I probably will never know. And yet they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they knew the way they prayed and the way he prayed was very different. They heard Jesus pray and like, how is it that you talk to God like he's sitting right in front of you? How is it that you talk to him with so much power and with so much authority? So even though I've prayed a million times in my life, I feel like I don't know anything about prayer. Jesus, teach me how to pray. Many of us in this room, we've probably been praying for for decades, for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. But I believe we still have more to learn from Jesus on how to talk to God. I believe there's still more that we can glean from his word when it comes to talking to his father. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Notice this. He says, first of all, he says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say this is what you should pray. You see, many times we get, we get it wrong. We memorize this, we quote this, we recite this, and we think that that's all we're supposed to do with it. But Jesus didn't give us the Lord's Prayer so that we'd go out and recite the Lord's Prayer 57 times a day. He gave us the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray not what to pray. In other words, he's laying out a framework. He's laying out a formula. Here are the things that you should do when you pray. Here are the things you should cover in your prayer. So he tells us how to pray, not just what to pray. And then the last three words before we get into the Lord's Prayer, before he begins, he says, you should pray. Look at the person next to you and say, you should pray. We all know this, right? We, 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 we all get this. We're all probably at least the majority of us were Christians. We consider ourselves followers of Jesus. We probably all have some sort of a prayer life. Maybe that prayer life consists of praying over a meal when we're with other Christians. You you ever do that thing at like you're out for lunch or you're out for dinner and you start eating and then you realize there's like another Christian with you. You're like, oh, I'm supposed to pray first, right? Like you get that conviction. Uh, Like, 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 We've been there, right? Uh, let, let me just say this to relieve you from, some, from legalism. The Bible doesn't say you have to pray before every meal. You're not like a sinner if you don't. It's a really good habit. It's a really good thing to get into because, man, it reminds me to be thankful. And that's really what that is, is thanking God before we eat. Uh, so I recommend it. But if you, like, take two bites of your chips and salsa before you pray, you're not going to hell. You're not, like, on the sinner's list. You don't have to go, like, pay a penance. You're, it's okay. So just let me deliver you from that legalism right there, that religion. Um, but thank you. Uh, so Jesus says you should pray. You should pray. We get it. And I think if we were really honest, most of us would say, I don't pray enough. Right? I think most of us, if, if we passed around the microphone today and it's like, hey, how's your prayer life? You'd probably say, man, it's, it's not as strong as I'd like it to be. And part of that is probably laziness. Part of that is, is probably distraction and busyness. But I think part of it is we just don't know what to do. So I think many times we don't realize how powerful this can truly be. We have a sense that, man, my prayer life should be more vibrant. It should be more impactful. There should be more there with God, but we don't know how to get from where we are to where that place is. And so what we want to do over this series is we want to resource you. We want to equip you. We're going to challenge you. I'm going to give you a challenge every week. 
on some things to do in your prayer life that week that I believe are going to equip you to begin incorporating these things into your relationship with God. But Jesus says this then is how you should pray. Here's what we believe here at City Church. We believe that it must happen in the spiritual before it happens in the natural. Uh, We're going to see this actually in this very passage. Jesus says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it has to be done in heaven first before it's done on earth, right? That's the biblical order of things. And so let me give you some examples of this. When I was like 11, 12 years old, I started praying that God would give me a godly wife, that he'd give me a godly wife. Now, that prayer wasn't answered for like 27 years. That's a, no, not 20, I wasn't 30, 17 years. My math's terrible, right? I was 28 when I got married. Uh, God gave me an incredible answer to that prayer, an amazing answer to prayer. I'm so grateful for the answer that he gave me. But there was, there was a season where it seemed like that prayer wasn't answered. It was. Uh, now, what's scary when I was doing that and thinking about that, so I was 11 or 12 when I started praying that. That means that my wife was six or seven, which sounds really creepy. Um, when now I'm 38 and she's 33, it doesn't seem so creepy, right? But, but I'm like, man, I had no idea I was praying for a six-year-old. God, what am I doing? Um, but that was the reality at that point in time, right? Um, so I, it's got to happen in the spiritual before it happens in the natural. I'll give you another example. I was 15 years old when I first responded to the call of God on my life to go into ministry and to be a pastor, where I first started praying for this opportunity to, to lead people, that, that God would allow me to do this. Um, that prayer wasn't answered right away either. It was a number of years before I became a youth pastor and, and another number of years before I became a lead pastor, but I'm so grateful that God answered that prayer. I'm so grateful that it happened in the spiritual before it ever happened in the natural. Right, and, and so the biggest things in life, the things that God wants for you the most, the most life-changing, impactful things, I truly believe we gotta make them happen spiritually before we're gonna see them happen naturally. It's the biblical order of things. That's why prayer is so important. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. So let's get into part one. I wanna give you four things from this first statement of Jesus, these first four words, our Father in heaven, that I believe teach us on how we come to God. How do we approach God? Because this is the beginning. This is the start of coming to him. So he says, our Father in heaven. The first thing I want you to see is we come to God corporately. Corporately. Have you ever thought about this? I've never thought about this until I started studying for this series. Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, says, our Father in heaven. He doesn't say, my Father in heaven. Right? He doesn't say the Father in heaven. He specifically, see, I don't think Jesus ever did anything by accident. I don't think Jesus ever did anything by coincidence. I think everything he did was completely intentional, completely inspired, divinely inspired by God's Holy Spirit, and for a reason for us. And he intentionally teaches them in their prayer life. He says, look, I want you to pray our Father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying there's power when we pray together. You see, we live in the most individualistic society in the history of the world. Man, if you go back to, to Israel 2,000 years ago, they were much more corporate, much more community-oriented, much more relational than we are. We, we're so individualistic. Individualism is woven into our American fabric. And then you add on the, the generation we live in with technology and how easy it is for us to isolate, how easy it is for us to get focused on just ourselves. And that bleeds over into our relationship with God. We have an incredibly individualistic church culture 
in America. And I'm just as guilty as anybody, right? But Jesus says, I want you to pray like this. He says, I want you to pray our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying there's never a time for you to pray by yourself. Please, please understand this. Jesus himself modeled prayer by himself. In the book of Mark, chapter one, it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Solitary, that's a word we only use like in two contexts, right? Like the card game and the place you don't wanna go in prison, right? Like, like the play, what does it mean? It means it's just you. It's just you playing cards, it's just you in a, in a hole, right? So Jesus went to a solitary place, place where nobody else was around, just him and God. So he modeled that for us. So yes, we should have a personal time with God. Yes, you should pray just by yourself. Jesus isn't saying in the Lord's Prayer that the only time to pray is when other people are present. What he is saying is there needs to be a component of our prayer life, a frequent, I believe, component, a life-giving component of our prayer life that is beyond just me. It's us coming together. I've seen time and time again in, in youth ministry where we've had youth leaders come up and, and we put them in like leading a little small group of a few students. It's like, hey, I want you to pray for your students, take prayer requests in this event and at this activity, whatever. And, and the youth leader's eyes will get this big and they'll say, I've never prayed out loud for anyone in my life, right? And then these might be people who've been Christians for 20 years. I don't, I don't pray out loud. You got to get somebody else, and, and what I've always done has been very gentle, but still nudge them. I want you to take that. I want you to set that goal. We're going to take that step. And what will eventually happen time after time is within a few months, that youth leader will come back to me and say, you won't believe what I did this week, PT. This is what they always call me. Uh, and, and I'm like, okay, so what'd you do? Like, man, I prayed this week on my own and I wasn't even scared right? I, I prayed out loud for them. Like they got to the point where they're comfortable with it, where they've, they, they're, they're able to take that step. And the reality is we should not be raising Christians who are 20 years of the faith who don't know how to pray out loud in front of somebody else. That is a failure of our church culture. That is a failure of our parenting. We got to do better than that because Jesus in teaching us how to pray says we should pray our father in heaven. In other words, all of us should be comfortable to pray in front of somebody else. Here's the thing, that, that teenager, that person sitting next to you, they ain't grading you on how good you pray. And even if they are, they're not the one I'm going to stand in front of one day, right? I don't pray out loud so somebody can be impressed with my spirituality. I pray out loud because Jesus has given us and taught us and modeled for us a corporate aspect of our faith, that it's more than just me. It's more than just about me. It's about us. There's power when we come together. We're doing a unity service tonight. Why? So that we can make a statement of our community. Look at us. We're such good Christians. We're bigger than us. No. We're doing a unity service tonight because we believe there's power in unity. We believe there's something that God has designed for this thing to be bigger than City Church. We're part of a bigger kingdom. We're part of a bigger family. And this same thing is true in our personal prayer life. Yes, we gather just as City Church, and we should. And yes, we, get, we go to God just as individuals, and we should, but it's more than just that. And Jesus intentionally kicks off the Lord's Prayer. The very first word out of his mouth is our. This thing is about us. Now, this probably messes with your idea of prayer a little bit, if you're like me, because it's messed with mine. 
Uh, it's not real comfortable for me when I evaluate my prayer life and how much of my prayer life is just me and how much of it involves other people. I think there's, it's, it's out of balance. doesn't mean that I, I need to quit praying by myself. It just means I need to pray more with other people. You see what I'm saying? I don't, I don't lower this. I raise this over here. But George Barna did a study on this. Go ahead and put that graphic on the screen for us. <coughs> so this is how Americans pray, Americans who do pray. And this, I, th- I want to say... It was like 90% of Americans say that they do pray at least once in the last three months. So out of that 90%, here's the percentages. 82% pray most frequently silently by themselves, which is probably most of us in this room. Secondly, 13% pray audibly by themselves. Uh, Thirdly, 2% pray audibly with another person or group, and 2% pray collectively with the church. That's most frequently. Uh, So it doesn't mean that if you're in the first category, it doesn't mean you don't do the other things. It just means you do the first one the most. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with this. I'm not against praying by yourself, but I think it's interesting how many of us pray so much more frequently with just ourselves than, than with somebody else. Now, I'm in category number two. I'm in the audibly by myself category, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's mostly a practical reason. Uh, I like to talk out loud to God because if I don't, I don't stay focused at all. I'm talking to God, I'm praying over service, I'm praying over my kids, and, and the next minute I'm thinking about what I'm going to cook tomorrow, right? Or, or I'm thinking about what happened in the ball game. Like, like my brain does not stay focused. I'm like super ADD, especially when I'm in prayer, right? So I'm like over here, distracted. And so when I pray out loud, does it mean I never get distracted out loud? No. But, but it does help me to stay a lot more focused than when I pray silently. It doesn't mean I never pray silently. There's situations where I have to pray silently. Situations where, you know, you're with somebody else and they can't hear what's going on for whatever reason. You got to pray just to yourself. So I'm not saying it's never a place for that, but if I'm by myself and it's just me and God, I'm praying out loud. And, and every once in a while I get some weird looks because somebody might creep up on me and hear that. And it's like, what's going on? Like, you're talking to yourself? Like, yeah, whatever. You know, like, it's because I do talk to myself too. That's a whole other thing. It's a different message. Um, but... <laughs> and, that's the reality. But, but for me, it helps me to, to pray out loud. I'd recommend, if you have trouble staying focused in your prayers, I'd recommend to pray out loud. I, I think it'll help you. Just a, a practical step. This is not something that's like biblical, like you must pray out loud. It doesn't say that. Just, hey, this is something I found that's helped me. Uh, but so I'm in that second category. But I think most of us are, are probably like 80-20 or 90-10 in how much that we pray by ourselves versus how much we pray with others. So I want to encourage you, embrace corporate prayer. Embrace the opportunity to pray with somebody. In fact, I'll just go ahead and give you a hint. This week's challenge is going to be focused on point number one. We'll talk about it at the end of service, but go ahead and embrace yourselves. We're going to have a challenge about praying corporately. Um, So number two, not only do we come to God corporately, number two, we come to God as his children. We come to God as his children. The Lord's Prayer starts out with this, this statement, our Father, our Father. What does the statement Father do? It declares and reminds us that we are his children. We start off the Lord's Prayer with a fact about our relationship to God. Why? Because it establishes our right to be heard. We're not coming to God on the basis of our righteousness. We're not coming to God um, on the basis of what we have done or the basis of what we're going to do. We're not adopted into his family because of how good we are. We're adopted into his family because of the righteousness of Jesus. But we declare at the beginning, our Father. In other words, we're we're reminding ourselves 
that we're his kids. Pastor Tim Keller, I already quoted him once today, but he's brilliant on this topic, so I gotta quote and reference him one more time. It's one of my favorite statements about prayer I've ever heard. He says this. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. I apologize, thank you. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Let's park there for just a minute. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. as a child. How many of you guys have kids? Show of hands. Like, most of us, not all of us, right? Some of us are too young for that. We're glad you don't have kids yet. <laughs> Stay there for a little while. Um, but, but for those of us, thank you, Carolyn. Give it up for Carolyn, saving the day so you don't have to hear me cough all day. You ever had your kid wake you up at 3 a.m.? 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. or so, you know, they don't know what time it is. They don't care that you're asleep. They don't care if you're immodest right? They don't care like what, what the situation is. When they need something in the middle of the night, they're going to bust up in your room. Why? Because you're daddy, your mama. They know the relationship. You are the source. You are the provider. You are the one who can meet their needs. And so the, the picture that Pastor Keller is painting here <coughs> is that we're that kid, that we have access to the throne. Nobody else is waking up a king in the middle of the night. Nobody else would dare. They're they're gonna pay the price for it. But because of our relationship, because we've been adopted into his family, because we wear sonship and daughtership, we now have access to the throne of the universe as his children. That's powerful, guys. That is so powerful when you you begin to realize that it's like, you you ever been a part of one of those 24-hour gyms and nobody works through the middle midnight hours, but they give you like a, a card you swipe, right? So you get there and you swipe the card and now you can go access the gym. You can do anything you want through the middle of the night. God's given you an access card to the throne room. The access card is Jesus. He's your access. And because of him, you've now, your name's been changed. You've been adopted into his family. You wear a new name and you can go before the throne anytime you want. Theologian Ben Myers puts it this way about what it means to call God Father in his book, The Apostles' Creed. He says, Jesus' relationship to God is unique but it's also inclusive. His followers stand on the inside of Jesus's unique relationship to God. Jesus calls God Abba, Father. That word Abba is similar to Daddy in the Aramaic language. Uh, And his followers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray in the same way. That is what it means to be baptized into the triune God, the, the the Trinity. By the Spirit, we are immersed into the life of Jesus so that we come to share in his position before God. You hear that? You've come to share in Jesus' position before God. Jesus is God's child by nature. We become God's children by grace. Jesus is born of God. We are adopted. It's a lot of words. What, What is he saying? It's very theological. He's saying that when you go before the throne, God sees Jesus. That should be a much bigger amen. I'm gonna say it again. When you go before the throne, God sees Jesus. That's, dude, that's life changing. Imagine what that means for your requests. Imagine what that means for for the power of your relationship with him, for your closeness. You're not just this random person who, who God chose to save. You're not just this sinner saved by grace. You are standing there and he looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus on you. He sees the mark of Jesus on you and he's going to treat you like he treats Jesus. 
That's the power of the gospel is that God treats us the way he treats Jesus. Why do we get to go to heaven? Because he treats us like Jesus. Why are our sins forgiven? Because Jesus paid the price for them. Everything that Jesus had is credited to our account. His holiness, his righteousness, his purity, his power, his authority, all of that has now been credited to our account. Not because of us, but because of what he has done. This is life-changing stuff if we can get a hold of it and access it. We're heard for Jesus' sake. Why? Because from the moment that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, God began a pursuit of family. See, very early on in, in Israel's history, he called Israel his children. With Israel first got kings, they got David and Solomon. God called David and Solomon his sons. But if you study the history of Israel, if you study the history of Israel's kings, it's a history of failure. It's a history of disappointment. It's a history of rebellion. It's a history uh, of of neglect of that relationship. And so God was constantly pursuing children. And so finally, he sends us his son. And we see in Luke 3.22, as Jesus is baptized, (coughs) God the Father says those famous words. He says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And it's almost like you can hear heaven's sigh of relief. We finally have a son who's worthy of the title. We finally have a son who's worthy to be the heir of the father. There's finally someone here on earth who can live up to it. And because Jesus did, he lived 33 years and he did not violate his sonship. He did not step outside of honoring his father. Because of that and the death that he died for you and for me, now we have been brought in. And we've had applied to our account all of the rights of sonship and daughtership, all the rights that Jesus had. Hebrews 4 puts it this way. It says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. The high priest, the, the priest was the person who went between God and man, who stood in the gap. And so Hebrews is pretty much all about teaching us about Jesus, the high priest, what his role as the intermediary was for us. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we were, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Everybody say confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of Jesus, the high priest, who stands between me and God, he, he's been the intermediary for me. He allows me to get into God's presence. And he says, I can go before God's presence with confidence. Many translations put it this way. Go before God's throne boldly. Boldness. Confidence. In other words, I don't have to cower before him. I don't have to shrink back. I don't have to stand in fear. This is the creator of the world. This is the one who sits on the throne of all eternity. And I get to go before him boldly. I get to go before him like a kid needing a glass of water at three in the morning in mom and dad's room. It's incredible. How many of us don't take anywhere near enough advantage of that? How different would our lives look if we really accessed this? If we really understood it, if we really applied it, and said, I get to go before him anytime I want. Anything that's going on in my life, I can go and take it before the authority of all the universe. It's incredible when you think about it. Number three, we don't just come to him corporately. We don't just come to him as his children. Number three, We come to the Father in prayer, not to the Son. 
I don't know how many of you were, were, were taught what as you were kids. I remember as a kid, we used to pray things like, dear Lord Jesus, or dear Jesus. And I don't think if your kid prays that, or even if you pray that, that you're like kicked out of the family of God, or some big sin to pray to Jesus. But I do think there's a reason why Jesus teaches us the way to do things. And I think that as much as we can, we need to model and walk out the things the way that Jesus tells us to do them. So in John 16, 23, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. This is the week that Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he's preparing his disciples. I'm not going to be here forever, guys. Man, you've depended on me. You've traveled with me for three and a half years. You've looked up to me. You've asked me questions. But a day is coming that I'm not going to be here, and it's coming soon. And so he's preparing them for his eventual death and ultimately his ascension into heaven where he's going to be gone from their sight. And so he says this. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Jesus journeyed with his people for three years. They've become intimate, deep friends. They've shared life together. Ten of these dudes are going to die for him. That's some real friendship right there. And these people who were so close to him, Jesus looks at them and he says, look, a day's coming where you don't ask me for anything anymore. You go to daddy. You go to the father. You're not going to ask me. You're going to go to the father. And so if the disciples had to go to the Father and not to Jesus, how much more do I need to go to the Father and not to Jesus? This is the order that he's created. Now, now sometimes I believe there's a time for us to address Jesus in prayer or to address the Holy Spirit in prayer. If you hear us when we do our fresh start prayer at the end of service, we'll, we'll, we'll open that door and say, man, uh, Jesus, I give you the throne of my heart, right? But we always start the prayer addressing the Father. The prayer is to the Father, but it's like, okay, Jesus, I'm giving you this place because this is the place that that you belong. So I think it's okay to talk to Jesus in prayer. It's okay to talk to the Holy Spirit in certain moments. But the prayers don't go to Jesus. They don't go to the Holy Spirit. They go to the Father. This is super important, in my opinion, uh, because Jesus modeled it for us this way. Teach your kids to pray to God the Father. I don't think the exact wording is like crucial. I don't think it has to be our Father in heaven, right? I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. It can be God the Father. It can be our Heavenly Father. It can be any of a number of other ways to put it. Uh, But we're addressing, we're going to the Father, not to Jesus, not to the Holy Spirit. So we've been renting our house in South Haven, uh, and and we've used a a leasing agency to help us rent our house. And this past week, we've run into a number of problems. In fact, uh, the the tenants, we got a call from our next door neighbor. Um, Our our tenants actually painted the exterior of our house without permission. Uh, So yeah, so so I called, as soon as I heard it, I called the leasing. I'm like, what's going on? Called Monday, didn't get a response. Called Tuesday, didn't get a response. Called the office Thursday, or excuse me, Wednesday, didn't get a response. So we went through this whole thing. Friday, Melody actually goes into the office. She's like, what's going on? Why can't we get a reply? She's like, I need somebody to call us today. And they're like, yeah, we'll see, but probably not. So sure enough, we didn't get a call Friday. Friday night, I get a text message from our our agent, hey, I'll give you a call tomorrow. So finally, I get a call Saturday. Uh, And then yesterday, while we were out at lunch, I got a second call, this time from the owner of the company. I talked to the owner of the company and explained the situation, explained our frustration. And do you know how much better I felt after talking to the owner than after talking to the agent? Why do I feel so much better? Because the owner has the authority to fix it, right? Because he's the one who knows how it's supposed to work. You ever been at a restaurant and you're like, hey, can I talk to the manager? 
right? Like talking to the server isn't getting it done. Talking to this person behind the counter isn't fixing the problem. I need to go to the top. Or you've been on like a, a call uh, with, with customer service and this person, you know, you're talking to Comcast and you're like, why, you hate your life and you're about to just, just Jesus take me to heaven, right? Um, and you're like, okay, like, can, can I talk to your superior, right? Can I talk to your supervisor? Why do we do that? Because we understand that things get fixed when we go to the one with the proper authority. Why do we pray to the Father and not to Jesus or the Holy Spirit? They're all God. The Father is the one who has the ultimate authority. You know who's in submission to the Father? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If I need something from Jesus or I need something from the Holy Spirit, you know how I get it? I go to the Father. And he's the one who says, hey, Holy Spirit, I want you to go heal this. Jesus, I want you to go deal with this. He's the one who delegates to them. So I'm going to go straight to the top. Doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow lesser or, or, or insignificant. But this is the way he's laid it out. He tells his disciples, I want you to pray to the Father. But then he says, I want you to pray to the Father in my name. So here's another soapbox moment for you. All right? When, when we get to the end of our prayer, we, and we don't have to do this at the end, by the way. It can be at the beginning. Like, we, I don't know why we all do it at the end, but it's the way we do it, right? So we get to the end of our prayer, and we say, in your name, I pray. Amen. So if we pray to the Father, and at the end we say, in your name, I pray, what do we just do? We pray in the name of the Father, right? Where's the power? Power is in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, pray to the Father. Anything you ask in my name, you'll have. So what name do we pray in? In Jesus' name. Now, it doesn't have to be at the end again. It can be at the beginning. It can be in the middle. But you, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you for this. I take authority over this, whatever it might be. But Jesus' name is where the power is. So number one, don't pray in your name. Number two, I think we need to actually use the name of Jesus and not some little substitute for his name. Here's other things that we do. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. You know, Christ isn't his name, it's his title. It's a great title. It means he's, he's the anointed one. It's important. Uh, but Jesus didn't say, pray in my title. He said, pray in my name, right? Or, or, or we'll pray something like, uh, in, in your son's holy name, I pray. Amen. And then it sounds really spiritual, right? His name is holy. Is his name holy? Yes, his name is holy. But holy is not his name. You know what I mean? Like, it's an adjective. It's not a noun, like it is a description of his name. His name is, is full of holiness. Praise God. But his name is not holy. His name is Jesus. And the power is in the name of Jesus. Now, I got to brag on my wife for a minute because my wife is incredible. And she has taught my kids this, my four-year-old and my two-year-old. They, they pray over every meal. And, and at the end, they will pray, in Jesus' name, amen. And, and there was a season where they first got this where as soon as they said amen, they say, Jesus' name where the power is. Now, they've kind of grown past that because they did that for like six months, and now they're like moved on to the next thing. But can I tell you how awesome it is to hear your, your two-year-old say Jesus' name is where the power is? Like how cool that is? Like they're getting it at a, very, a much earlier age than I got it. And isn't that every parent's dream? We want our kids to be further along than we were. And we want them to go further than we went. And so pour this into your kids. Teach your kids this stuff. We pray to the Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Lastly. We come to the Father recognizing his place in heaven. Our Father in heaven. See, this is the opposite of point number two. Point number two talks about how he's our Father and reminds us of our place as his children. Point number four reminds us of his place in heaven. See, I, I've known people who pray things like this, and I get why. They'll, they'll pray like, hey, Dad, and then go on. And, and, and it's almost kind of this casual thing with Jesus or with God, and yes, he's Abba, he's Daddy, 
And yes, there's an intimacy there, and we should have that intimacy. But he's also God who sits on the throne. And I shouldn't cower. I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be timid to go before his throne. But I better remember I'm going before the throne. He's not just some dude. He's not, man, back in like the, the early 2000s, there's like the Jesus is my homeboy shirts, right? Like he ain't my homeboy, right? Like he's so much more than that. Yes, he's my friend. He's allowed me to call him friend, and I'm so grateful for it. But he's the authority over all the universe. He's the one who sits on the throne. And so Jesus says, remind yourself when you come before the Father of where he's at. Remind yourself of where you're going. You're not just going to church. You're not just going to have a conversation with somebody. You're going into the very throne room of all of eternity. You're going to heaven in prayer. And remember where you're going. I need you to know where you are. Let's show some reverence. Let's show some respect. Next week, our statement is, hallowed be your name. We're going to talk about how his name is hallowed. We're going to talk about lifting him up and glorifying him and reverencing him. And the danger in our Christian culture, especially in churches like ours, let's be honest, is if we're not careful, we can present this casual picture because we don't wear suits and ties. And I don't think any of that stuff is important. That's why we don't do it. But, but, but we don't come to God casually just because we come to church casually. You see what I'm saying? See, God doesn't live here. He lives here. So we don't dress up to come to church because this ain't the place where God lives, right? Like he, he's in my car. He's in the shower. He's everywhere where I can talk to him, right? So I don't somehow have to put on some new, some new I don't pretty up to come to church because, man, this is where God is. He's everywhere, so that's what, but, but just because we're casual at church doesn't mean we have a casual relationship with our maker, do you see the difference? It's, it's significant. He is powerful. He is authority. He is God in heaven. And we, yes, he's daddy. And yes, I can go before him at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. And I'm so grateful for it. But I need to remember where I'm going. This is the throne room. Why is it important for me to remember where I'm going? Because that's where the power is. That's the authority. Why am I going to God in prayer at all? Because he's above all of it. Right? Because he has authority over all of it. Because he's the one who can fix it. He's the one who can change it. And calling him my father in heaven reminds me where he's at. And why we're having this conversation in the first place. You know, one of the crazy things I discovered in researching on prayer in our culture is that the vast majority of atheists and agnostics in our world have a prayer life. Isn't that kind of crazy to you? The vast majority, almost everybody not just in America, but even in Britain and in other uh, Western nations, have a prayer life even if they don't believe in God. Why? Because deep down they believe in God. Like if we're being real, they, they think somebody's out there and they may not know who he is. They might not know what name to put on him. But deep down they believe there's something bigger than us. We all do. It's inside. God, God has written eternity in our hearts. We know it deep down inside even if we don't know how to access it. We don't know how to get to where he is. But Jesus lays out for us the recipe. Remember where you're coming. You're not just talking to air. They, they interviewed one guy in one of the articles that I read. And he said, I know it seems foolish and I know it makes me kind of a hypocrite, but I get on my knees at my bed every night and I pray. And he said, I pray the Lord's prayer. And then I ask God for certain things. And he's like, but I don't even believe there is a God. And so you, you sense the conflict here, like this, this guy's conflicted. There's a part of him up here who says, no, there's no God. I don't see evidence of him. But deep down in here, that's driving him. 
to pursue God, to seek God. He knows there's somebody out there. I believe that God's going to speak to that guy. I believe he's going to reveal himself. I think his name was Timothy, if I remember the article correctly. But, but that guy, and he was in Britain, that British guy who's praying every night, I think, he, I think he's going to find what he's looking for because he's seeking. And the Bible says if you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door's going to be open. If you ask, you're going to receive. But we come to the Father corporately. We come to the Father as his children. We come to the Father recognizing his place in heaven. We come to the Father in prayer, not to the Son. It's very, very basic. We studied four words today. Our Father in heaven. You probably didn't think I could get four points out of four words, did you? But we got it. Uh, There's so much power in those four little words. There's so much if we can access it and really begin to put it into practice. So here's what we're going to do as we get ready to close. First of all, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand up. We're going to close, and we're going to close by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to put it on the screen so we can all say it in the same translation, and we're going to say this together, because I do believe there's power in it. But before we do, I want to give you this week's challenge. Here's what I want to ask everybody. If you call City Church your home, I'm asking you to do this this week. Week one challenge, pray to the Father corporately each day this week. Thank him that you get to approach him as his child. So what I'm asking is that each day this week, You'd find some time to get together with somebody. That could be a spouse. That could be a child. That could be a coworker. That could be a friend. For some of us, man, we might have to dig a little deeper to find somebody we can pray with every day. Some of us, we might have to get on Skype or FaceTime or on the phone, right? Like you don't have to be present in the same room if that's not possible. But every day this week, I want you to have some corporate prayer time. doesn't mean it has to be the majority of your prayer time. In fact, I hope it's not because it's probably not going to be super long. Probably going to corporately pray for two or three minutes or five minutes. I hope that you have another time where you can spend a little more time with God. But man, every day this week, man, if if you're a family and and, and you both go to church here, husband and wife, man, you guys need to be praying together. Man, there's gonna be so much power injected into your relationship. Bring your kids into that a couple times this week. Doesn't mean they have to be there for everyone, but model this for them. Let them see it. We're gonna pray corporately and, and, and I think begin increasing our corporate prayer. If you're that person that's like, man, I never pray out loud, this is your week. It's the week to grow up. Jesus calls us to maturity. So you're going to find somebody who loves you, who ain't going to judge you. You can even tell them ahead of time, I've never done this before, and I'm going to be terrible. And they ain't going to judge you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to high-five with you when you get done and celebrate with you. But we're going to do these things. We're going to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray corporately. We're going to pray as his children, but we're going to remember that he's God in heaven, that he has authority over our circumstances, over our situations, all seven days this week. And just watch what it begins to do. If we can begin to develop that habit, it doesn't mean every day of the rest of our lives we're going to pray corporately. But I I think we can get to a place where we pray corporately more days than not. In other words, we're not just relying on church and and small group to be the days where we pray corporately. We're actually intentionally finding those people that we can pray with. What do you guys think? You up for this? You up? You game? Come on, we can do this. Week one challenge. I'm going to go ahead and tell you they're probably going to get harder. So do this one so you can at least say you did one.